Hey, everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Our next guest is not your everyday podcast guest. He's not a celebrity, an Instagram influencer, or anyone you've ever heard of. And if by some small chance you do know him, you're either friends and family, part of an elite group of Tier 1 Spec Ops fighters, or someone who's just had a really bad day. As for us... We're honored to call him our friend and have him on for his first exclusive interview since retiring. This is a man that spent 30 plus years in the US Navy, during which he completed 16 combat tours dating back to Kosovo. Today, we'd like to welcome retired Navy SEAL Master Chief, Jason Henderson. Hey guys. Welcome, Hendo. Thanks for having me, appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, appreciate man. you coming on. Finally. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I retired in September and of course it was COVID going on. So there was no like retirement yeah. ceremony or anything. It was like, here, sign these non-disclosure agreements. Now, uh, there's a gate, get out. So it's been an interesting transition into the civilian world. Uh, I lived in an isolated and worked in an isolated community. So, um, this is very new for me. I'm not used to talking about anything that I've done. I'm not, I've, had just started social media in the last six months. So I'm way behind the power curve on that. And uh, I, I don't have a lot of friends in the civilian communities. So it's kind of been a, a big reset, but it's exciting at the same time. Yeah. But you, when you got out, you really hit the ground running. And we're going to talk about some of the things that you're working on. Uh, a lot of interesting things that kind of combine, you know, all your, your techniques and tactics that you've learned through the Navy and now you're bringing it um, to, the, to the civilian world and the, the uh, first responders world and, and things like that. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, first of all, I just wanna ask, um, how do you know Marty? You guys go back a ways. How, tell us how this all happened. Yeah, it's, uh, I, in fact, I would have to go back even farther to talk about human performance in the SEAL teams and then how we, mm -hmm. how we evolved and, and innovated. Uh, it started off in the 90s when I came in. I came in in like 1990. I think I was in the SEALs by 92 or so, 91. Um, it was just long distance running and long distance swimming and nobody had fought in a war since Vietnam. So we really didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, you know, during that time, everything was just based on how far you could push yourself from an endurance standpoint. There was very little emphasis put on strength at all. And, um, you know, it's funny, Marty and I were talking about it the other day, how uh, SEAL commanders, because they work in an administrative role, would want to feel like, hey, I'm a SEAL too, and I'm the leader here at the command. So they would make these ridiculous things we called monster mashes, which would be like a 12-mile run followed by a three-mile ocean swim followed by carrying sandbags or whatever, obstacle courses. And um, they would train for it. The staff officers would train for it for six months, and it, it would just all of a sudden like surprise us with it. We'd come back from climbing Pikes Peak or something in Colorado and you know, you get back on Sunday and Monday like, hey, there's a monster mash. So it was really stupid how it was run and it was just catered to the ego of these commanders. Um, and we just been a breaking guys. And most of us that had any kind of uh, thinking outside the box, creative thinking would just run into the bushes, have our buddy pick us up, go drink Bloody Marys, and then show up at about finish time when our time would come in. And then we'd emerge from the brush. And most of those people, oddly enough, are the ones that made it to the tier one level because they were innovative thinkers. And right. 
And yeah. we're just like, okay. That's if, a good point. Not, you know, in the SEALs, we have a motto that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And really, that's just to kind of get us in the mindset that um, there's not just one way of doing things, that you should be innovative. And we're not the type that charges a machine gun nest, you know what I mean? We're like, okay, how do I outthink the enemy? How, how can I be as creative as possible? But um, yeah, so th throughout those years, it was uh, just endurance. And when we started fighting in the wars and in 2001 and two. Um, we were like, okay, well, we've been doing it wrong the entire time. We're not properly prepared because it ended up being all picking guys up, uh, kicking in doors, throwing guys up onto walls, things Sprinting. like that. Sprinting. Yeah, sprints. I mean, in, in 16 combat tours, I never ran more than 100 yards. And never once did I strip down to my panties and go fast shoes and take off for 12 miles. So that whole, it was a waste of time what we were doing. So we were like, okay, let's rethink this thing. So we went kind of to the four winds and uh, at the command I was at, we kind of went all over. I was training a lot of fighting at the time, a lot of combative. So I was kind of reaching out to like um, Institute of Human Performance down in Florida and some other groups and just being like, how are, how are you guys training fighters and how are you preparing? preparing them because there's a combination of strength and endurance. Other guys are going over Stegan, Pavel and all, you know, all these other groups. Um, and one guy at our command kind of said, well, hold on a second. Everybody's got their little niches that they're doing. Why don't we bring everybody in and just have a strength symposium? And we just kind of pick what's good and what isn't. Uh, it's John Foss, God rest his soul. And um, he brought in uh, Pavel, who in turn brought in Marty and Dan John and the TRX guys. And there was all kinds of people there. And um, everybody kind of went out and did their spiel. A lot of it wasn't appealing to me personally. Um, I, I didn't see where a lot of it was applicable. Some of it was okay. Some of it was decent. Um, and then I kind of just asked, who's, the, who's that grumbling guy that doesn't say anything over in the corner? Uh, with an angry look on his face. And they're like, oh, that's Marty Gallagher. He's a world champion powerlifter, and he's trained the greatest in the world. I went, okay. Well, I walked over, and I had a conversation. And then from then, we're like, show me one of your cycles. I'll train your cycle. And this is what I do for everybody. Like, hand oh. up. Hand up. Yeah. First time I ever laid eyes on you, right? That's why I want to know your first impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're sitting in the gym. And um, I'm sitting next to, I've got John, John on one side. I mean, I've got Jimmy in the other, right? Yeah. And you walked in, you came in the, the door and I noticed that both guys on either side set up bolt straight, right? And then John leaned over to me and he goes, that's Hendo, that's our best fighter. He's the alpha of the alphas. I said, oh, okay. Well, that's a super nice thing for John to have said. Um, yeah, and I'm sure, you know, I, I've had moments, but uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was good, and and you know, I I tested the Marty's program, and I had really great results, and it was a minimalist approach. Um, it, we it all just comes down to, you know, the fundamentals. <clears throat> the four main exercises, you know, today in human performance, it's all just shtick, right? It's like gimmick after gimmick after, hey, just turn your toes inward more on squat and mm -hmm. you'll get more dry. And no, no, you don't. Look, this is tried and tested for hundreds of years. Strength didn't just appear this year. Right. Um, people have been doing it for a long period of time. And you, it's across the board. You know, if you look at even, I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo, right? If you look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the greatest, um, 
jujitsu competitor in history is uh, Hodger Gracie. And everything he does is like white belt level, you know, techniques, but he does it so good that even when people know it's coming, they can't stop it. That's right. Fundamentals. Fundamentals. Yeah. And I, I think that that's maybe what caused me to stand out a little bit from the rest of the crowd, because we, we've spun them back around to the ultra basics. And a, a lot of the guys had never been schooled correctly to begin with in, in terms of progressive resistance training. So they found it was very, uh, uh, you know, revolutionary. And we're like, mm, no, it's not revolutionary. This is what you should have been taught right from the beginning. Yeah. Well, I had completely changed at 30 years old how I did lifting, period. Like, all, I reset all my bench press technique, my squat, deadlift, everything. Completely changed it to how you and, you know, fortunately we have multi-time world champions to come in and coach that are have been under you, Kirk Kowalski and Brad Gillingham. And um, so the, just the minute details are so crucially important for longevity. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, prop, and proper planning. You know, if, you, if, if nobody, if everybody just goes in there and it's going crazy with the workouts without a plan and without some goals, that's when you get hurt. Yeah. yeah, you're I absolutely think, uh, right. It, it's the pre that really sets you up for everything. If I'm going out on a mission, it's the preparatory that prepares us for the mission, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing here with lifting. You're like you need to have your your mindset right, your diet, your recovery, everything pre-planned out before you even start a cycle. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and well, I don't know. They credit Bruce Lee with saying it, but I don't think he said it. He said, "I don't fear the man who." has done 10,000 kicks one time. I fear the man who's done one kick 10,000 times. That's us. Yeah, I think there's a there's a definitely a truth to that. I mean, it's enduring. And uh, I, th- I think one of the biggest things um, and reasons why you guys latched on to Marty's template was because uh, time investment. I mean, here you were being shown how to get maximum results in the least amount of time, what, maybe a half hour to an hour because it's the top guys are not going to be able to power through <clears throat> in that short of a time period. There's too many warm sets involved. Yeah, that, 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 that 30 minute stuff. That's great. If you're, if you're doing three sets in each of the four right. core lifts, but if you're, you know, if you're an elite athlete, it's going to take you longer. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, so, but, but I mean, that, that's what really appealed to you guys because look at all the other stuff that you guys are responsible for doing in a day. I mean, what jumping out of airplanes and all kinds of stuff. That's right. um, you gotta, you gotta will this down. You have to be very um, exact with your time. You gotta have a very tight schedule. So this really worked into their meshed in very well. Yeah, you're right, JP. You know, I, most of my workouts never go longer than 45 minutes. And if they mm-hmm. do, it's because I'm, t- I'm socializing. You know what I mean? It's me and my training partners. Um, And to Marty's uh, response also, that's also true. If I'm going to my maximums, then I have to have a little bit more recovery time in between my my heavy sets uh, to kind of prepare. I need probably five minutes of mentally and physically resetting myself and preparing for the next repetitions. But but yeah, uh, it's true. You know, I, I can't. I can't tell you how many times I've been in there cranking out a max squat with, you know, three spotters around me yelling in my ear, charging me up. And then 
as soon as I put the bar down, they go, Hey, we're launching in 30 minutes. And I go, I go running out of the tent and throw my gear on. And next thing I know, I'm climbing over, I'm hiking 10 miles and climbing over a mountain range in Afghanistan. As long as you got to the Watson, you're all right, man. You got your Well, you know, in the end, uh, I'm coming to find out more and more that active recovery seems to be a lot more efficient for me than just laying down and, and doing nothing. So when you're, when you're you're saying active recovery, what are you talking about? Yeah, I just keep moving. So like if I have a heavy squat workout, let's say I usually do it on, on Fridays, um, Saturday and Sunday, instead of just lounging around and feeling sorry for myself because my legs hurt, I'll go for a walk. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll ride a bike. I'll I'll play more, more than anything because I have a a 10 year old daughter. I go out and play with her. We play basketball or soccer or throw the Mm -hmm. ball, football and running around and little micro sprints and things like that. And by Monday I feel great. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping everything loose, keeping it warm, you know, yeah, not cranking it out. I'm I'm not you know going on power walk or anything, right? Backpack, but you know I'm just doing fun things and I'm staying active and uh, you know swimming or surfing or or whatever. And I f- you know, I feel much better doing it that way than if I just fully lounge and rest. It seems like it's, I have a harder time getting started on Monday. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. So all right now, um, when when you it's a different world for you guys when you're stateside as opposed to when you're deployed in terms of your, in terms of available training time. The right. time you have. Yeah. So, you know, what, you know, how, how do you make that? When, when you, how do you make that transition? I mean, our, our system, we try to make it like a, I don't know, like an accordion where if you're pressed for time, it can be done in as little as one day, you know, if you're really pressed, come in and squat and bench deadlift, be done with it. But if you have tons of time, you can open the thing up, spread it out, uh, you know, attack lifts on individual days, back it up with assistance work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how did that work for you guys? Yeah. So one of the good things that the SEALs do um, is we prioritize our, our human performance. We, we say, hey, no matter what, doesn't matter if I'm on a trip, what I'm doing, the first two hours of the morning, is everybody musters up and then you go and do your workouts and workouts are individualized because everybody's different. Everybody's got different injuries. Everybody's got different interests. So some guys will go lift, some guys will go fight. Um, you know, it'll, it'll change up, but we always mandatory. You have that free time in the morning to get it done and it just becomes part of your culture. So when I'm deployed or anything else, the minute I wake up, I got to get things moving again. doesn't matter if I was out all night doing a hit, um, doing a few raids or whatever. I, I get my sleep, I wake up, I immediately go in and I start working out. And even, like I said earlier, it, it, maybe it's just 30 minutes, maybe it's just 45, but I go in, I crank it out and then I start my day. And for me, you know, you, with, with all the anxieties in life and especially in that type of a job, I have to get up and work out. Uh-huh. And otherwise I'm going to be crabby all day long. That's I'm your not day, isn't it? That's, that's your right. day. Yeah. And you know, it, it goes farther than that. It goes to the night before. So before I go to sleep, instead of me laying there going, I got bills to pay, I got this stress, I got that stress, I have this anxiety, I just think about what's tomorrow's workout. And whether it's a fighting workout or whether it's a lifting workout, I go through all the points of performance in my head. I slow my breathing down, I do diaphragmatic breathing at night, I calm down, I relax, and I'm singularly focused in my mind on what the 
what the task is going to be in the morning, what my workout is. And I don't think about any of the stresses in life until after my workout. And then when I'm in the shower, I'm like, what does my day look like? But it's okay because I've already done that roller coaster ride of endorphins and dopamine mm-hmm. and I'm mentally reset. I'm calm. I'm relaxed. I'm ready to face the day. I'm not waking up. Like if I go to bed <clears throat> filled with anxiety, I wake up stressed. The rest of my day is going to snowball in a negative direction. So this way I, I fully mentally reset. I can't work out in the evenings. I can only do it in the mornings. Yeah, couldn't either. Yeah, that's when we do it. What about when you guys are on deployment? I mean, most of the time, did you have decent equipment to use or how is that? 50-50. I would say because us and the SEALs put so much emphasis into our human performance right. that we haul equipment everywhere we go. It doesn't matter if we're on a ship or at an outstation or remote location. Um, we haul the gear out there and get our workouts. And it isn't just us in a kettlebell. You know, I, I feel for the guys that have to do that where off the side of their tank, they just have a TRX and a, and a kettlebell, but they're getting it done, you know, and then they're doing what's right. But for us, yeah, we'll, we have a squat rack. We'll have the fundamentals. We'll have a squat rack, a bench. We'll have a couple barbells. We'll have some dumbbells. We'll have what, what's needed to get the job done. Uh, what, if, what, if, what if you're out in the desert for a week? you know, on, a, on some sort of a mission, you don't have any buildings or anything close by. I mean, what do you do then? Well, it, I mean, if I'm in the desert for a week, I'm probably doing raids all night long and I'm getting in fist fights every night with, with the enemy and I'm getting that's, into that's, shootouts. That's so a pretty good workout. Cardio. That's a good workout, isn't it? <laughs> you, you know, you have to think about it. When I assault a target, like I'll insert a hike, usually, you know, six miles in or so. I'll climb over a mountain range to get there because you want to create some space between you and your target. As I move up to the target, a guy will climb into my hands and I'll throw him up onto the, onto the walls. In Afghanistan, they have these huge 10 to 15 foot walls all the way around their compounds for their own protection. And I'll pitch a guy up there to get a look into the compound to see what he sees or you know, kind of do overwatch. And then I'll go over and help breach the door or knock it down or climb up something else. And if one guy gets shot, I got to pick them up and get them off the target. Many, many times I've had to push vehicles that potentially had explosives in them off the target. Mm-hmm. I've had to roll vehicles over on several occasions to get them out of the road after we've done an ambush or whatever. I mean, strength has been, and I'm carrying 30 to 40 pounds of gear. That's and what I'm, I was wondering. And I'm what, streamlined. Yeah. That's streamlined down, but that's my gun, my helmet, you know, my night vision goggles, a, a ton of ammunition and my body armor. Yeah. Yeah. Marty, can you, can, Marty, can you tell that kettlebell story? Well, story the one, if, if I, I think it was Hendo that asked, um, or somebody asked if they were going to be using kettlebells and Hendo chimed in about having to, he weighs 300 pounds with his gear and I want somebody to, uh, Oh, Oh yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. We were doing, uh, the way that they ran it when they would bring us in is we would go in for what five days straight. It wasn't like you're going to go in for two hours. We go in for five damn days and it'd be two sessions a day. Uh, theoretically four hours a session that we usually cut the second one a little bit. Uh, and <clears throat> I think uh, the first or the second time we were down there, one of the guys was, I wasn't, wasn't complaining, but he was just kind of wondering, you know, why all this emphasis on the deadlift? And uh, Hendo kind of snapped up a little bit and he said, I'll tell you why, and I'll, I'll leave out the expletives. Uh, but he said, because if, if, if I get hit when I'm geared up, I'm weighing what, 300, 320? What are you weighing geared up? Yeah, 315. Yeah, 315 pounds. And he said, 
if you can't deadlift 400 pounds, you ain't going to pull me out of the middle of the gunfire because you got to be returning fire with the other hand. Okay. Right. You, you've got to have that kind of strength and you're not going to get it flinging a 52 pound kettlebell around and, and quote unquote. And everybody was like, dead silence, crickets. <laughs> and they got it. And then I stood up and I said, every guy in this room should have at least a double body weight deadlift. I said, my yeah. wife, ha my wife has a double body weight deadlift. Come on boys. You know? And, and they were shocked by that. They were like, well, you know, standards. We And again, we were real big on standards. So one of the things that, that Hendo and I talked about is like, what is sort of the baseline, you know? And if you're talking, you can come up with some, some intelligent, rational, guidelines for a good raw squat, double body weight, okay? A, a raw bench, 1.5 times body weight, okay? A deadlift, 2.5 times body weight. A press or a power clean, body weight. So what does that mean? A 200 pound guy, he's got a raw squat, 400, low parallel, thank you. He's got a bench with no crazy ass coming off the bench, 300. He's got a deadlift 500. He's got a press 200. And he's got a power clean 200. And that's not any world record stuff. That's like everybody in this room should be able to do that. Yeah, and it gives them goals to shoot for too. Yeah. They've had no, no experience in the background of doing the basic lifts. You know, what, what seemed to me is that there was a separation of guys where they're really into the cardio stuff and really into that, getting that feeling where they're exhausted. And then you sort of had your group who was from your influence you know, let's get stronger and then do the cardio stuff. And that's more of a sprinting and prowler and sled work, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the strongman exercises. I, yeah. I think there's a lot of parallels to the mission with it. And I, you know, I don't want to downplay kettlebells. Kettlebells do play an important role also sure. in our exercises, but maximum strength is most important. And then you get into your endurance strength. So my focus with my guys was overall strength with, you know, with the big four of strength, of uh, sorry, squat, bench, deadlift, and military press. And then anything after that is just kind of fluff, but it's important also to do, you know, anaerobic exercises. Fighting is one of the most important things. Oh, you know, I may or may not yeah, shoot somebody, target, but I'm hundred percent putting my hands on somebody. So I need to, and for some reason, that's one of the least thing that's trained in the military period is hand-to-hand -hand combat. So there should well, really why, be a why, prioritized. Why, 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 why do you suppose that is? Well, there, there's a lot of things that, tie in there's ego uh, mm. fighting hurts mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right, but, right. but if it's done properly you know and I, and I did the same thing with fighting i reached out to all the experts in the world and i brought in guys and i'm like look we can't be hurting each other what's the best way for us to train and be the most effective without destroying ourselves and that's where guys like dave camarillo and conan silvera and gustavo yeah. machado all well, came out and were just like hey these are this is the smartest way to train this is the most effective way to train and you know if you watch me and some of the guys at work and you guys have train it looks like a, a ufc fight we're going at it with each other but we're we've started off at a really basic controlled level of jabbing back and forth and light takedowns and then we just kind of go a little faster a little faster but they know how to give they know how to fall they know how to parry you know mm -hmm. what i mean so from the, some, the somebody that's looking from the outside it looks like a scrap but to us it's an extremely controlled um Practice session. conflict and, and and it's the same with weightlifting you know I can die. 
under a squat bar, bar just as easily as, as I can die in combat. Any slight deviation of my knee or not having the right footwear, or having stuff laying around the the squat rack, these, these can be catastrophic to a person. Right. So it, you really have to be hyper-focused and you have to take everything to the fundamental level and you just got to slowly work your way up, crawl, walk, run until you're getting into what you need to prepare properly for the battlefield. Right. Hendo, I want to ask you, when I was there with you guys, I noticed that um, it, it, as far as the, the size and strength of the guys, it was just all over the place. I mean, you had some really strong, big dudes there, you know, a lot of muscle. Uh, but then you had some guys that looked like they were very uh, endurance-based guys. I mean, is that by design? Is that purely just an individual thing? Yeah, well, I definitely want to steer people away from the stereotype that all SEALs are are giant gorillas walking around because we right. need every type of person. Yeah. I need little guys that can climb into tunnels. I need big right. guys that can throw guys over walls. I need the little guy that gets thrown over the wall. You know, a lot of our snipers tend to be more endurance type of athletes because they need a sprint up the top of a mountain peak to do overwatch. Um, and that's it's not something that some of us bigger guys need, but everybody plays a different role. The breachers will be bigger. The snipers will be smaller. You need a little bit of, of a full spectrum. That totally makes sense. So when you guys are bringing in a new guy, you, you kind of consider that sort of thing. Well, we need a bigger guy right now to replace the, the bigger guy that's leaving or whatever. Well, you get what you, you get what you get. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't recruit based on, you don't have that much choice. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, you, there's very few of us as there is, but you can yeah. build somebody to become anything you want them to be. Right. And mm -hmm. my only priority was you need to carry me off the X. That's the only thing I carried, cared about is you right. need to be able to, handle yourself in a, in a combative situation you need to be able to close distance strike clinch take down control hands handcuff them marshal them off the target in a, in a safe manner you know not using as much force as necessary but only using as much as needed and um it's the same with strength i just need you to be strong enough to pick me up and drag me off the x and that you know it's something that go, it transcends just being a seal it's us as human beings if somebody falls on the street or if your child falls, you don't want to become a casualty trying to move them or ask for help. I mean, you're useless, right. like run over there, pick the person up, get them off the, the threat area, you know, be able to catch your child if they're about to fall off a cliff or whatever and not become a casualty yourself. It's just normal human being stuff. Right. Uh, also, I want to, I want to bring something up here. Um, why don't you, well, JP, we want to. I want to move into the to the age thing a little bit. Uh, you clicked the you clicked over the half century mark uh, in May, right, Hendo? Uh, yeah, May fourteenth. Why don't you tell them what you did to celebrate? Well, yeah, to go back a little, you and I had talked, Marty, about how, what I can do to get longevity. I, I use you and Gillingham kind of as my my elder mentors to go. You know, I call you every year on your birthday and I'm like, yes, what could you, you have done better? What, how, if you were my age, what could you have done so you'd be more effective at your age, right? Um, as you're climbing into your 80s, 90s. Uh, 39, just turned 39. <laughs> okay. I think 70 is the number we're looking <laughs> at. But, um, and you said, look, your body's going to atrophy. Your muscles are going to atrophy. Your bones are going to become brittle. Your tendons are going to become weaker. So stay ahead of it. We can't stop it, but we can slow it down. And so I thought, okay, what's the best way to do that? And again, what makes me effective as a, as a public servant, as a human being, you know what I mean? And I thought strength endurance would probably be it. So I did 
double body weight for 50 reps because I turned 50. Okay, well, 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 well now give him the body weight though. Well, 250. 250, double body weight, 500. 246, okay. so I did, yeah, I deadlifted 500 pounds for 50 reps, four sets of 10 and two sets of five. Damn. God damn, could, I couldn't you have got the last set of 10 Hendo? I mean, come <laughs> on, man. I was um, about midway through. I, I wished I never did this. And it's a, it's the same thing that I do to myself. That is, It's a way I motivate myself into a training is I go, okay, I'm going to do some astronomical feat, whether it's yeah. fighting or, or strength. I'm going to go tell everybody. So yep. I, I shame myself into Put doing it. Put yourself in the spot. He called I, me. He called me. You know what I said? Don't do it. That's crazy. That's what I said. I said, don't do it. I said, I said how about, take, uh, let me see. I figured it out. You needed, uh, like, I, I wanted him to do triples, right? So right. to get 50 reps, he'd have to do, what, 20 sets of three or something. And, and yeah. he's like, no, 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 I got it. And then what was it? Your training, you didn't. Do a regular deadlift off the floor? How did that work? Yeah. Did so, stuff? yeah, this is a, a Brad Gillingham is the yeah. one that, that talked <laughs> me through this. And uh, now, now know, let's just let's, you, let's just mention Brad, our, our friend. We keep mentioning Brad. Brad Gillingham is the uh, three-time IPF super heavyweight world champion. Uh, Brad has deadlifted uh, eight hundred plus pounds. What I think one hundred and four times in competition in competition, in competition. Of, yeah. of, officially the yeah. second the second most number of 800 pound deadlifts is 38 mm -hmm. so brad is what six five three thirty and uh he's just a man mountain so anyway i, I didn't mean to interrupt but i we keep mentioning brad and i just wanted to put him into perspective good day yeah, I mean, he's also the world champion of being a nice human being. He's oh, we love him. Guy yeah, he's a great life. guy. Uh, he's also a Minnesotan like like John Foss was. Just yeah. great people there in, in Minnesota. Maybe not so much in Minneapolis anymore. But, he, uh, uh, he, he called me after you sent him that video, and he goes, I, I just got to tell somebody about this. Yeah. Hendo is doing this crazy <laughs> shit. He goes, you wouldn't believe it. it, it <laughs> He's got, it's like 50, 50, 500 pounds, all the, you know, because uh, he's turning 50. He goes, this guy's crazy. And his goes, last I just had to call somebody and tell him. Yeah, and his last time in the email was, i never seen anything like it. And I just pictured, <laughs> pictured him saying that, you know, i never seen anything like it. Well, he's yeah. Or something. Yeah. yeah, well, to go back to how I trained it was he's the one that kind of turned me on to partials. In my mind, the... The two different Gilling, I just call them the Gillinghams. They're the week in a 16 week program are, are, are the best. I've had 100% success rate with anybody that's ever tried it. And so people can reach out to him to get those. But um, in a 16 week, there's a lot of partials. And so I go, well, I've had great success with going to new weights with partials, going to heavier weights. Why don't I try it for endurance? So at the time, this was back in January, I pulled 500 for five. And uh, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I can do it for 50 if I just, you know, gradually work up. So I started about the first January, February, I was kind of just started with 315 and doing five sets of 10 and then kind of working my way up. And I also had transitioned over to uh, double overhand versus an over under grip on the deadlift, which is something Gillingham had kind of turned me on to. And you're not hooking now? Yeah, I was hook gripping. Yeah. Oh, you, you were hooking? I hooked yeah. it, yeah. Okay. It shortens the pull and it's it's safer too. Oh, it's safer, yeah, for sure. You won't tear your bicep. 
probably. Right. No, but you'll tear the hell out of your thumbs. Because yeah. if you saw yeah, that you just numb the video, nerve. I only did like two sets with it. And then by then, at the end of the program, my thumbs were so worn out. And then I, you know, of course I looked and I noticed Olympic lifters taped their thumbs. I go, oh, yeah. damn, that was a good idea. I should have done that. And, you know, in hindsight. But so I started above the knee and I did, uh, you know, it, you could do almost any weight above the knee. If you can do five reps of 500 there, doing five sets of 10 above the knee in the deadlift uh, is pretty easy. It wasn't that hard at all. And then uh, every week I just went down, you know, two inches until the, the day of. And now were, you asked ten, me, were you 10 repping? Yeah, I was 10 repping. Okay. And every week I was getting my reps. And then um, Marty goes, well, how many have you pulled off the floor? Uh, and because I tell him, hey, next week I'm doing this lift. And I said, none. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I still, I'm like, don't do it. That's crazy. But it went. And when I uh, did it, it, it wasn't went. so bad. It wasn't, you know, the hardest rep with any, because of the deadlift style yeah. that, that we do, yeah. um, pulling it, getting it off the ground That's is right. the hardest part. But once it's off, I'm good We're for rolling. 10 reps. Yep. Yeah. Rolling. That's what Cassidy used to say. Give me one. I'll give you two. Yeah. Or yeah. Or more. Definitely. Because mm -hmm. I definitely wasn't at my, my maximum weight. Right. But, but still you weren't doing five sets of 10. You were doing one set of 10. No, I was doing five sets of 10 every week. In the rack. In the rack. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. And cool. I, okay. And what here's, your, here's, what were your here's, jumps weekly? What were your jumps? Uh, 10 to 20 pounds. At first it was twenties. And then, um, and then I went, I just went, okay, I'm at 500 after Mike, my, my second month. And I still had, you know, I was like February. So I still had March, April, May. So I had two and a half more months to go. So I just kept it at 500. I didn't go over it and I didn't go under it. I just kept it right at 500. Yeah. Good. Uh, did you, our problem with rack work is we, we would have a tough time transitioning from the rack to the, you know, our correct floor technique. Did you find you were able to, to like drop right back into a good, a good ground technique or were you? Yeah. And you know, I had, um, as I got lower and lower, I kind of went to your frog style where I pushed my knees out over, over my feet with that were slightly canted out. Yep. And then to, to get it off the floor, I would start pushing my knees in and first I would sit back. So the bar is already starting to come off the ground. Then I'd push my knees in and that would give me another inch or two. And then my legs would be pretty straight at that point, And it would just and be all posterior chain <clears throat> pushing it up. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, Hendo is back strong. Yeah. I had so. tried, I had tried for the first three months to match it with squats. And, um, and I also was going to try and do the whole thing with no belt. I was able to do it with no hand wraps, but um, my back just got worn out between walking the walking the, the the bar out, you know, five sets of ten with a heavy weight, and you know, you tend to get a little lazy, and I didn't have spotters, and so my back was just starting to ache. So I'm just like, I'm I'm gonna bag the squats and just keep it at you know some easy weight, three four hundred pounds, and just do light, just do a few sets of, of lighter reps. And then uh, just focus on the deadlift. And there were several weeks that the only exercise I did that entire week was one set of deadlift or, or um, five sets of deadlift. And I did, only did that. I went in, I did my deadlifts, and I walked out of the gym because I was really busy with work at the time. Yeah, well, you were recovering. It was a forced recovery, super recovery. Yeah. And I, you know, I was putting in a lot of miles walking every day and, and stuff. But, um, 
with, with my job. But um, yeah, that that was really all all that was needed. Everything else was just accessory because the the whole emphasis was on the deadlift. And what are you, you doing anything with bench? You keeping that up or what's going on there? Yeah, well, Overhead you know, three, three months in, I got a really bad shoulder impingement that keeps bothering mm. me. But so I, I still kept benching through it, but just real light. So I stayed really light with that. Um, squats never went above probably 350, 375. Um, I started off earlier hitting fours, and then I kind of just bagged it at that point and dropped the weight down. And I was only doing, you know, three sets of three or something or two yeah. sets of five. And then um, I was doing front squats um, to kind of get my foot drive up a little bit, but I did that as a warm up for my squat, my deadlifts. Yeah, that's a that's a bread trick. Also, yeah, I did I did all of his tricks. I did uh, you know rows and things. I, I was programmed by a, a buddy of mine, um, Matt Helm, over at Stan Strong Training Center. Uh, he, he's a real good guy, and he just kind of we just kind of went back and forth, and I'm like. Hey, I really want to try doing this. And he'd be like, okay. And then you just kind of build a program around it. Now you do meets once in a while, right? You've done them before. Powerlifting meets. Yeah. Yeah. I do it in the fall. You do it in the fall. Yeah. So you're going to keep doing that. I would imagine you're going to have more, more time to train if you need it now and more. Yeah. More so I'll always, I'll always do powerlifting and highland games and stuff in the fall and then mm. I'll, i transition over i enjoy the holiday christmas and then i um judo seasons in the spring so i'll compete in judo and then in the summer i'll do jiu-jitsu yeah, i handled you ever com- that one meet you remember that um a couple of them i think yeah and so <laughs> i was so nervous i wasn't going to make it from new jersey down there in time that i got up at like three got right in the truck and drove down and I'm sitting in the parking lot, and it's like 6.45 a.m., and I think weigh-in was at like 8.30 or something. <laughs> so I called you, and I'm like, all right, dude, I'm here. And you're like, yeah, I'm just getting up and having some breakfast. So I'll be there in a little while. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm here, man. I'm ready. <laughs> no, it was, that was good. Yeah. Marty was there. Yeah, uh, Marty, Marty, Marty's had me in a lot of my meets. Uh, yeah. If I go up to Pennsylvania, I like competing <laughs> up there in Pennsylvania, too. Yeah. Marty's handled me in meets. Kirk was there. Yep, Kirk came. See so, yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh boy, Kirk, Kirk, he's an interesting character. You know, he's a <laughs> yeah. he's gregarious to say the least. But you know, the most unique thing about Kirk is it when you walk up to the squat rack and you're like, "Hey, talk me through this." He all of a sudden turns into Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's like this genius that knows every minute detail of everything. And you're just yeah. like, "What? What the hell's coming out of his mouth?" And ten minutes later, he's talking about you know sex, Aww. drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Uh, yeah. Getting back to that uh, longevity thing, uh, kind of the way that one way to look at it is like uh, in my particular situation, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to hang on to what I had. I, I was doing a little thinking the, uh, on my birthday. I pulled uh, I had I hadn't done deadlifts in a year, <clears throat> but I had a streak going. So I pulled four or five on my birthday. I was 71. So we did the math. That's the 56th straight year that I pulled 400 or more. I stopped squatting 400 or more in uh, uh, 2015. I got a meniscus tear. So that was kind of the end of that. Uh, Right now, my strength level is about the same as it was when I was 16. Right. So that's the way I'm I'm looking at it. It's like, right, uh, my, my bell curve was double my strength like at age 35. 
and now at 70, I'm, I'm hanging on. And right now I'm about the strength level I was at 16. You know, when I'm 80, I want to have the strength level I had when I was 12. You know what I mean? But I had good strength at that that point in time. So that's that's the way that I'm looking at it. Is it's your it's it's your hanging on to what you have. But I tell you, you can make progress, man. I'm telling you, you can always progress over where you are at currently. And that's well, I, the, that's the key factor. No matter how old you are, you can improve on where you're at right now. Yeah, I, I don't. I still haven't hit my my potential. Like, I, I don't know what my limitations are at this point. They, they don't appear to exist just yet. So, and I, like you said, I just turned 50 and I just did a strength feat that I couldn't have achieved at any other point in my life. Right. So um, I'm like, well, what else can I do? So me and Brad are talking through going for maximal deadlift and see how, how I can go with that. And I'm going to do the same thing with partials. Um, maybe, maybe I'll have, you know, something decent to uncork during the fall this year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't. I don't know when. I don't know when that is. What? what the, like my body hurts. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've did sixteen combat tours. I'm. I'm. I'm I've had numerous surgeries. Uh, you know, I, but the, the excuse matrix doesn't really matter. Just do what you can do, but do it better than you've ever done in your life. Yeah. Do you have an ultimate goal for the uh, the deadlift? I mean, if if you still haven't reached your maximum potential, I mean, what are you thinking? What's your goal? I would like to get in the sevens. I would like to get as close to triple body weight as possible. Damn, man. Well, you better get not to for, losing. Some, you, better, you better get to losing some weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're down about You're 220. That seems to be the magic number. Well, I, I did that once. Uh, with <laughs> yeah, Mario. you did. Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, God. That was, you were... that was one of my... Uh, Oh, that was, that was one of my lesser ideas. Yeah, I was like, hey, well, I, was I naturally sit about 250, and I compete at 242. And the 242 cut is pretty easy for me. But um, I go, well, you know what? I'm going to go down to 220. And if I'm this yeah. strong at 250, we'll see where I'm there. But I think I kept all the fat. I just lost the muscle. <laughs> so so he, he, he rolled into my house with two team members, right, who were also competing. And they took me aside, and they said, watch out, he's very tense. <laughs> and, and he weighed in, as soon as we weighed in Friday night, the, the best restaurant in our area is, called, is the Dobbins House over in Gettysburg. So I said, hey, I have an idea as to, as to where to go. And he goes, we're going to the Dobbins House. And I said, now how in the hell did he know that that was the best restaurant in my area? And that's where we went. And yeah, I, I, had, I had six I, months to research. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I don't know. We were, I don't know. I think everybody ate two dinners, and uh, you know, loaves of bread were disappearing. I think you. I think by the time he lifted the next day, you were like two thirty-five or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll never do that again. That was a horrible idea. Yeah. My, my body was just break breaking down at that point. Yeah. Like yeah. I was, I, I was like a coming out of a starvation camp. Hey, let me let me go back to the fighting thing real quick. What were the disciplines? that you did that you thought helped you most on the battlefield? Well, they, they've all, they all play a role. I think it's the, the mixture of them okay. that comes in the most. Like I would say if I could pick three, it would be wrestling, of course, is mm-hmm. the most dominant. Um, kickboxing played an important role for keeping space and distance um, until I can clinch and, and do my takedown. And then uh, either judo or jiu-jitsu on the ground, I would probably say jujitsu because you're slowly controlling them. You're controlling their hands. You're controlling their hips. You're controlling their posture. 
and then you're getting them to a point of being handcuffed um, instead of submission. You know, I'm going for the handcuff ultimately, or you know, choking them unconscious or whatever. Yeah. Now I'm sure you, Hendo. I'm sure you always had the upper hand out there. But did you ever run into a guy or two and go, you know what, this guy, this guy knows some stuff. This guy's um, pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some good fighters out there. I mean, not as much in in Iraq. Like there, I ran. We ran into some big gorillas that were like, yeah. they, we launched a dog on him, and he caught our dog in midair and threw it across the room. Wow. Like, oh God, this, this is gonna be a difficult. But um, yeah, I would say you know people we've gone against. I don't. I don't even really want to mention which yeah. countries they're from, but from the Caucasus, people from the Caucasus. Are, are great fighters and and they're really good people too and, um, and i don't, don't want to say it. it's very rare that some zealots from those countries came to remember, remember the story you told me about the family of wrestlers that you came across oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well fortunately they were friendly to us but yeah i um i walked up to a at this point we had hit three or four houses in this neighborhood and and you know i don't, I don't know if you guys want me to tell the whole thing but essentially by the time I'd gotten to the, well, yeah, I think it's important to yeah tell it after yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Kind of so, segues, it kind of segues into the next. We need to shift yes. to the to the broader topic. So this mm -hmm. is a good segue. Well, we were we were told to clear these two neighborhoods, right? And really, the way the neighborhoods were set up were houses back to back, and so one team went down one street, and my team went down the other street, and the the ones that went to the street on the right. They ran up and immediately there was a huge dog in the yard. So they shot the dog and then the family came out screaming. And then because, you know, the dog just got shot and then they're running, they're shoving the family around because they're acting erratic. And that whole side of the street went from, you know, breaching doors and shotguns going off. And it, it really escalated in a, in a negative way. And my side of the street, I ran up and I was the primary breacher at the time. So I ran up to the door and the door was open and an old lady was there and I just kind of gently moved her over to the side and I smiled at her and the guys went in and kind of cleared, cleared, you know, she only had a one bedroom place, but she like grabbed my arm and she's like kissing me on the cheek and leads me over to a table and she's trying to feed me figs and cheese. And, um, and I go, okay, well, let, let's kind of ramp down a little bit. This seems like a friendly neighborhood. So I went to the next house and they were, they were just like welcoming us in. Like I just went up and knocked on the door instead of kicking the door. <laughs> it's like, yeah, come on in, you search whatever, do whatever you want. You guys want a seven up, whatever, like really kind. And our side of the street was in a very friendly matter. So about seven, eight houses in, um, I, you know, the whole neighborhood's out at this point because on the other street, they just hear mayhem. And on our side, you know, I walked up to the fence and there's a guy standing there. He's a short guy, probably like five, four ish with older, probably in his sixties with big cauliflower ears. Yeah, there you go. And I walked up to him and, and I'm like, Hey, are you a wrestler through my interpreter? And he's like, yeah, yeah, come on in. And then we went inside and he's got these gorillas for sons that all have <laughs> huge hands and cauliflower ears. And, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're part of a, the, I'm like, are you guys on the Iraq national wrestling team? And they're like, no, we're part of an underground club because Uday, at the time, the son of Saddam Hussein, if you lost in certain competitions or whatever whim he felt, he would just kill you. And he was in charge of the whole Olympic training program. You know what I mean? So they had just wrestled in, the, in underground programs. And I just thought, wow, if we went into this house the same way those guys are going into that yeah. house on the other side, guys are going to get launched out of windows <laughs> and then we're going to have to shoot them. And over what? You know, we don't even... You know, I asked them, I'm like, hey, do you know where this guy is that we're looking for? Like, oh, yeah, he's an asshole. He, or I'm sorry, no, I don't mean to cuss. But um, he's right, like, yeah, he's, he lives in that house right there. Go ahead and go. I'll walk you over there. and We'll go see if he's in there. 
and he wasn't there and they are like he's been gone for a few weeks and you know they were <laughs> super friendly neighborhood they're like thank you for coming and helping us in our country and blah blah and on the other side they were making enemies so <laughs> so Hendo, that was kind of a turning point because you said all all your uh battlefield mentors had come out of vietnam yeah and it was like, you know, you mentioned on your website, we were we were killing butterflies with sledgehammers. Well, that, we and, didn't know what we were doing. We yeah. Like I was part of, on paper, the best combat fighting force in the world because we'd proved it in exercises. You know, we'd proved it in, in pristine mm -hmm. targets that were, you know, sterilized. And now all of a sudden we're in a real fight and we're like, oh, what we thought all along isn't isn't the right way of doing things. And we came in where violence of action, violence of action, win the fight. But that works if you're fighting against like a hardened enemy that's in a compound. If you're just going out and hitting houses with violence of action, you're just creating more enemies. So we started going, hey, we need to ramp down a little bit. We need to start de-escalating force. We need to start controlling our emotions, having emotional intelligence. We need to start thinking, using more critical thinking, being more creative in how we hit these targets. And, um, you know, start not so much to win hearts and minds but just to have less collateral damage and, and our you know i no no none of us we all came up in that kind of john wayne era where you know you protect the women and children and you only fight men that that are stepping up the fight and everybody else you kind of look and protect them you protect the innocent you do what's right so that that was kind of our focus and and we just had to transition and go okay well everything we had learned up till now was wrong we have to kind of refocus and, and do the right thing and ensure that the secondary and tertiary effects aren't hurting the public. So after that mission, uh, did you guys kind of regroup and, and discuss all that and kind of evolve from then on? Well, it's 50-50. You're always going to have, this is, and this is just early on, you're always going to have the diehards that are like, yeah. oh, it's all in or nothing, you know what I mean? Or, or we're complacent. Mm -hmm. So we go, okay, well, what's a happy medium? How can we do this and, and be fast and effective while at the same time escalating and de-escalating is necessary. And then we just started training it. And then, you know, I was part of a command that was very innovative. Anytime, you know, we got shot at, or if one of our guys got hit, we'd be like, how could this possibly have happened? Let's play the whole thing out. Let's drill it a thousand times and ensure that this never happens again in the future. And then that started becoming the theme. And, and now, now it's, everybody does it that way, at least in our yeah. organization. Yeah. So right, now, so Go ahead. Man. Right. Go ahead, Marty. Well, I was just going to shift gears and, and, and I think this is a good lead in. Right. To now that you're out, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing some of these same tactical approaches with uh, some different agencies, correct? Yeah. So I was retired for about a week and this was in <laughs> September and I was sitting on my couch, drinking my beer, kind of watching the news going, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And, um, you know, there's, it's mayhem, there's riots, there's murders, cops are being assaulted everywhere. Um, you know, the media is just painting this horrible picture of our security. And I just thought, man, somebody should do something about this. And I went, oh, well, nobody's going to do shit unless, unless they step up and do it. So I'll, instead of sitting around and complaining and, you know, trolling on the internet, I'll just go out and do something. So I created two organizations, uh, Anderson Security Consultancy, which I do, all, all variations of security. I teach families how to protect themselves, synagogues, um, private companies, apartments, colleges, hospitals. Um, I do that for profit. And then I have a nonprofit called Four Pillars Collective. And I kind of just 
brought together a bunch of the best fighters in the world and, you know, real true patriotic people and some cops and people with backgrounds. You know, you have to have at least a black belt in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because you know how to control people. You know how to control your emotions. So um, we started training law enforcement, especially in defunded cities. Um, and, and, and these simple de-escalation measures that this is okay. I just go to them and I say, what are your rules of engagement? Essentially, what are your general orders? What are the laws that you have to follow? And, and a lot of the cities have different ones, you know, chokes are obviously out. So I'm like, okay, well, let me show you how to control people and let, take them down. And, you know, then let's build in emotional intelligence. Let's build in critical thinking, stress mitigation, all these different things into the physical restraint so that we can handle the people better. Cause you don't always have to have, you know, put hands on people, you can talk them down a little bit, but I still need to kind of orient myself in a manner that if they do decide to amp up and attack me, that I can quickly defend, control them and get them safely off, off of that threat area before a riot or something else breaks out. And, you know, we see all the time where one little mistake that an officer will make um, gets filmed and blown out of proportion. And then, you know, all of law enforcement is, punished for it. Yeah. So I train with like everything you're doing is being filmed. You're, you're essentially living a movie now, right? So you want to be in a movie that your, your peers, your family, your organization is going to be proud of. So I, I, I kind of train them and how to control themselves, control their measures, be effective and use a lot of the tactics that we used on the battlefield um, from a de-escalation standpoint, uh, with the public so that we can kind of bridge that gap again between the public and law enforcement. The whole point of four pillars, the reason I came up with that was it comes off of our national security strategy and it's broken down into four enduring pillars. It's security, it's prosperity, it's shared values and international order. You know, I've done my part in international order and fighting overseas and keeping the enemy away but our own security is being compromised. And when our own security is compromised, then prosperity goes down the, the tube, which you see in all these cities that with the riots and they can't, they can't rebuild to this day. And then if, if we don't have our security right and we're not wealthy, the other countries don't want to hear our values. They don't, they don't want to hear what we have to say. And we're supposed to be the, the gold standard for the world to look at. So uh, yeah, that's how I got into it. And that's what I'm doing now. I've, I travel once a month at this point because we're just getting started and training SWAT teams and police departments uh, all over the U.S. and Chicago, New York, and here in Virginia. And, how's, the uh, how, how's the reception been? You know, it's it's great. And I, it's something that I, I think the public really needs to understand. Everybody's going like, why aren't the cops getting more training? And why aren't they doing, you know, you know these cops are paying out of their pocket to go to different training places. And fortunately, I'm, I'm able to provide it for free through donor money. Um, and I can bring in these other experts to help out. But, you know, in Chicago, 60 officers showed up on a weekend off duty on their own time and went in there and, and came in early and left late and did their, you know, worked, worked out, exchanged ideas and concepts. And we're just like, hey, we're all trying to get better. We're trying to do our job better. But, you know, we just need a, a little bit of assistance. And I, I think it's important for everybody to know that, the cops are doing it. They're trying as hard as they can. They're getting extra training, even though their departments aren't giving it to them. Then they're and they're not funding it. You know, they That's have amazing. all the money is focused on equity and and uh, you know critical race theory and all these things that aren't effective for a, a healthy and secure society. 
you know, what we need to do is all kind of come together and go, how can we all be safe? And if we're all safe, we can all get more money and we're all more happier. You know what I mean? That's exactly right. And, and I, I think, think what you guys are doing, yeah. yeah, I think what you guys are doing is the future. And I think it's helping bridge that gap between law enforcement and the public. And that's what's needed. Uh, just like you said, we all need to come together. It's uh, we all live in the same society, the, the same neighborhoods. So we're all human. So we need to come together and kind of understand one another and, and, and you're right with your tactics. I mean, you don't need full force. You need to, you need more understanding. And sometimes you just got to knock on the door. Yeah. You know, in the seals, I, I fight to the death alongside of, you know, brothers and sisters of every possible nationality, economic background. We, none of us even think about identity politics. Right. Like, oh, I'm part of this, or I'm part of that. We're just like, how do we get the mission done? How are, how are we focused? What's the most effective way to do our task, both from a, a combat standpoint and from a humanity standpoint? And, you know, the general public needs to kind of steer away from this. I'm on this team or I'm on that team and just go, what can I do that's the best for society? And that's why I said with a deadlift, you know, I know for a fact that I can pick 50 people up off of a bad spot and drag them off the X. You know what I mean? Because right. I, that's what I'm training. So, so how does this all kind of work? I mean, somebody will contact you through your, your website and, you know, say it's a police department in, uh, you know, like Chicago, you mentioned Chicago. Um, they, they can request you guys come out for a day or a couple of days or to uh, have you address certain things, or is it a template you go out there with? How's it, how's it work? A couple different things. So I have a slightly different template for the PD versus uh, SWAT teams. I kind mm. of will do a little bit more with hostage rescue with SWAT teams. Um, but a, a lot of it is enduring. Um, yeah, they can just contact fourpillarscollective.com and within there, it, they have, there's a connection uh, to get a hold of me. But, you know, without money, <laughs> we're not going anywhere. I, I just need yeah. enough money to cover our flights and lodging and stuff and to bring a couple other instructors out. Another nice thing that happened in Chicago that I saw was other UFC fighters or former UFC fighters, it just heard about what we were doing and then showed up at the gym. And they're just like, how can we help? Yeah, they gave awesome. up their weekend. And, it, you know, yeah. it, it gave me a better sense of humanity. I live, like I said, in a really isolated community within the SEALs, especially in the group where we only hung out together. We only did things together. And I really didn't know the civilian populace very much, aside from what I see on, on the skewed media. And so um, I kind of was just like, it's easy to get in that biased, negative mentality of humanity is screwed. There's nothing we can do, uh, it's all gonna burn. So let's just protect our own in our house and leave it at that. But when, since I've been going out and seeing all these cops volunteering their personal time to come in and train and you know, former fighters coming in saying, we like what you're doing, how can we help? It just, it, it renews my sense of, oh, we're all in this together, but it, we're just at an embryonic stage. We're at a baby level that needs to expand. So when you do a, uh, someone hires you, like a family hires you to come to their house and yeah. you, do you tell them uh, the security, you know, leaks in the house and. That's right. Well, it transcends that. So I, yeah, for my, uh, for Henderson security, I, I go into emergency action plans, not just for fire, but for if somebody breaks into your house and right. you know, where are your fighting points? How, what do you have around you that can protect when you leave your house, which is usually the biggest threat, and you're going to your vehicle, you know, we're seeing right now where people are getting regularly carjacked at gas stations, 
coming out of a store, you know, these, these poor women that are trying to load their babies into a car, load their groceries into a car. People are running up and jacking their cars or stealing their stuff or robbing her purse. So I, I teach them situational awareness. I teach them third party awareness. I teach them uh, how to defend themselves, how to position themselves, um, you know, stay off their phones when they're moving from point A to point B, when to lock their doors, when not to. So it goes, it goes a little bit deeper. And then of course, all different forms of, uh, improvised and regular weapons manipulations and yeah you know yeah. i'll take them into a restaurant just be like okay where are your outs you should always be thinking well, how can i escape from here if i'm in a mall how do i escape yeah. where are my weapons who looks like a threat is are two people casing on either side of me the nice thing about COVID is we, we understand social distancing when somebody starts cracking into that six foot barrier you're kind of like what are they doing Thumbs you know, off. And, and you start angling well you start angling you start uh, taking a look at are their, their hands, their waist, are they hiding a weapon? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I train families. I'm starting to get into helping out at synagogues um, because they've been getting attacked a lot lately. Uh, universities, when you send your kid to college, you don't want some some crazy security guard in there that's going to jerk his gun and start blasting away. You want them to de-escalate matters and control, you know, drunk kids and things like that or, you know, trespassers and uh, move them off site right. without doing any kind of collateral damage or creating a scene. You know what I mean? Uh, especially people that donate to hospitals and universities, you know, you, you want your security to be calm and collected. Does it they, surprise you that, that they don't have this type of knowledge when you yeah. go in places? Yeah. It does. You don't know that, you know? Well, they, well, they, well, they have something, but unless you've gone through what I've gone through, Right. You're, you're not going to know the intricacies of it and you're not going to know uh, the best practices and techniques. Right. Well, the, 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 the man who is, you, you're immersed in violence, so you know how best to not get involved in the first place. I mean, you're, you're, you're the perfect, you're yeah, the per a, perfect guy for this, right? It's kind of the sad thing. Yeah. I'm like one of the, the best kidnappers in the world, right? Yeah, exactly. I've been traveling around yeah. the world, snatching people. Yeah. But, um, and that's how I look. When I look at somebody's home, I'm like, how would I come in and, and take your family? How yeah. would I come in and take your things? How would I snatch you off the street? Or where are your weak points or choke points and things like that? I, I play all that out on how I would target somebody. Yeah. yeah. Like a hacker. I reverse engineer it. Yeah. 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 What, what about the emotional side of it? The, 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 the critical thinking and all this, the breathing. I know you're into uh, very much into breathing and slowing the heart rate. And, you know, are you teaching all these tactics to these guys? And I do, and, you know, I, uh, it's, we start off in powerlifting. Even we do a lot of diaphragmatic breathing. And this is something mm -hmm. that Marty and I had, had talked about in the past is doing that mental reset in between sets. Cause I can't stay amped up, right. especially in a powerlifting because powerlifting meets are all day. Yeah. So I need to have breaks and I need to fully reset as much as I can before I go back out and lift. Um, and it's just like a roller coaster ride of emotions and physical exertion. So I had actually got with uh, Stig Severinsen, who's the Danish four-time world freediving champion. He's the only guy I think I know of that uh, has held his breath for 22 minutes. Anybody can YouTube that. Um, and, I'm, and I'm like, okay, well, that creates panic. How, what do you do? To, to control your anxieties. And he had taught me one, two breathing, which is inhaling through your nose. And you should always inhale through your nose unless your nose is so battered that you can't um, because your, your, um, your nostril, your hair and your nostrils filters the bad particles. It converts to nitric oxide, which gets more oxygen than to your brain, like by 18%, I think. And then by taking it down to the lower part of your lungs, the lower two thirds 
of your lungs is where all the oxygen is exchanged. So, you know, in the old days, everybody was chest breathing and breathing up high and expanding their chest. Well, they're not getting enough oxygen and you need to take it down as low. I try to think that I'm taking it all the way down to my pelvis because, you know, if I'm squatting or deadlifting, I'm, that's how I'm getting that, that belt. I'm tightening it all the way around. So I'll inhale for four seconds through my nose. I just pause for a second and then I'll either purse my lips or I'll push my tongue up to the bridge of my mouth and I'll exhale for eight seconds. And this three breaths will fully reset your sympathetic nervous system, right? Your autonomic nervous system. It'll transfer you from uh, sympathetic to parasympathetic, which puts you in that rest and digest from your fight or flight. And so I teach officers that when you're, before you go and approach somebody, you're doing that pre, right? You're already starting that breathing. You're calming yourself down. Now you're starting to scan for threats. You're starting to angle yourself on your approach. You're having a calm look on your face. You're looking at their hands. You're looking at their waist for any kind of threats. And you're, you're calming yourself and relaxing as much as possible. And I teach them that it doesn't matter if that person's screaming at you, if he's freaking out, if he's out of control. You have to be talking and saying, calm down, relax, breathe. You're not so much talking to them. You're talking to your own ego and you're calming yourself down. The secondary effects of it is that my buddies will, will feed off of my energy and they'll be calm. And then hopefully the tertiary effect will be that the person that I'm approaching will then kind of feel off my demeanor and calm himself down as well. And this is a trick that I learned on the, on the battlefield. I didn't always have to jump on somebody and scream at them. I could just go up, put hands on them, be calm, talk to them calmly. They don't have any idea what words are coming out of my mouth. They just know that I'm not escalating, right? And so they're happy that we're taking it in a, in a different direction. And, I, and the same can be done on the street with the public. Yeah, and, and if you're able to uh, kind of harness that anxiety and calm that down, it helps your body language. And it helps, so that helps you project uh, calmness uh, like you're trying to do for, for your, your teammates or your, your uh, law enforcement um, comrades or, you know, and, and, and to the public as well. So, you know, you know who has the best emotional intelligence in the law enforcement world is correctional officers. Because mm, all yeah. day long, they're being cussed at, targeted, yeah. threatened, yeah. stared, analyzed. And when they, when they transition over and become cops on the street, which a lot of them do, they're much better than the average cop at going up and talking to people and, and staying calm because they've been through it. They get it all day long, 24-7. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're just kind of numb to the the uh, <laughs> the verbal assaults. and well, they know. Knows. They it's know. all it is, right? Yeah. It's just sounds yeah. coming out of a hole in somebody's just face. Sounds, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just noises. It doesn't Can't hurt you. Sticks and stones, right? Right, right. Man. Well, I don't know. We could we could go on this all day. I mean, you've got such great information, but I, I think this is great. Um, your, your two companies that you, you started, especially uh, Four Pillars Collective, I see a very bright future for this. Anytime you turn on the news, you can point to different situations and things going on where this could be utilized. Um, so, it's so interesting, the analogies between preparation for like a, a huge lift or going into a situation um, where you're trying to control your heart rate, you know, where you're working on your breathing. It just shows you nothing comes without that preparation. You know, you have to have a plan and you have yeah. to have a plan to be able to squat 800 or to go into, you know, a, a group of 20 people with two officers, you know. You, you also have to have an improvisational mindset. You, right. you have to be fluid. You have to be able to deal with the unexpected. What do you call them, uh, uh, Hendo? Contingency? 
contingency yeah. planning. Yeah. Why don't you riff on that for a minute? Yeah. So as a tactical leader, that was the most important aspect of my job in the mission planning department as contingency planning. So if, you know, usually our Intel guy will come in and with a map and a point at a dot on the map and go, this is our target. And I just start playing the whole thing out like a movie. I'm going to insert here. If we get attacked here, we're going to shift over to here. If, um, as we're on our infill, if people come from the hills, we got to move this area. And I play this whole thing out contingency. What's the worst case scenario that could happen all the way through to the target and all the way back until we're home. And I do that with fighting. I do it with weightlifting. Uh, it's that it, I do this and they do this and what's the worst case. So I, 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 I play it all and prepare it. You know, when, I was back at the command and preparing for a meet. Um, I would have guys when I was doing my max squat, walk around and yell in front of me and make all this racket. Cause normally when I lift, it's a, in a very quiet and controlled environment, but you go to a powerlifting meet and it's mayhem, right? That's right. And so I would have guys do that in front of me. So mentally I would go laser focus in on a dot, focus on the dot, look at nothing else. Yes. Look, think about my points of performance and what I'm doing, break the hips, sit back, squat down, tight grips, tight shoulder. You know what I mean? And play the whole thing out. And I'd already mentally played this out a hundred times in my mind ahead of time through visualization. And, and the improvisational mindset or the contingency mindset also gives the conscious mind, it occupies the conscious mind, which keeps it from drifting. When the mind drifts in uncertain situations, that's when bad things happen. So we always give it something to do. We give the mind something to do. Plan, 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 plan for every potentiality. That's right. And you know, in the SEALs, we train for failure. Right. Everything we, we're like, what is the worst possible case scenario? Now let's make it even worse than that. Let's be mm -hmm. wet and sandy. Let's have a gun down. Let's have a guy wounded. Let's have yeah. you know, noise and mayhem and all these things. And if I can maintain my calm and relax and just do my fundamental techniques, you know, clear left, clear right, slowly move forward, take, take control of space, put hands on people, control them, and never let my anxiety rise, I'm going to be extremely effective no matter what happens. Yeah, and you're not... You're not, you're not allowing outside factors to influence your thinking. You're controlling your own thinking from the inside, focusing the outward. And that's critical difference. Plus, with yeah. that preparation, now you have confidence. You know, it's, you know, we've all been in situations where we've been unprepared, whether it's a speech or a class or something like that. And that feeling is like you're, you're sitting there with your pants off or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when, you, when you've covered all the bases then that gives you confidence also, you know, and, and, and with the guys saying, oh, well, we did this, we did that. Now we can just complete our mission. And you and, can think more clearly when you have that confidence and, too. And the, the breathing is the cornerstone. I love you, that. You've I always, love you always have your breathing. And I don't care whether it was Cassidy talking to me about my breathing or Robert Smith talking to me about Tai Chi, low diaphragm breathing. Uh, at the highest levels of every physical art, the breath is critical. And the breath is have the first step in gaining control of the mind. Yeah, well, I think a key thing that we keep skirting around is visualization is just getting repetitions in. You're contingency planning for the worst case, but you're mentally getting your repetitions in. And it's the same when I'm when I'm lifting, it's the same when I'm training to assault the target, I'm getting a lot of repetitions in so that I, I'm desensitized to the distractions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've been there before, right. even mm -hmm. if it's in your head. 
Yes. And that's when I talk about when I, when I go to bed at night, I'm, I'm playing out my workout in my head. And then the next morning on the way to the gym, I'm playing out my workout. And then when I do my workout, I'm hyper-focused because I've already gotten a, a few dozen reps in mentally before I've gotten there, yeah, you know, it's, and it's, it's the same with law enforcement. If they're sitting in their car, if they're waiting to, um, if they're standing on a street corner, whatever they're doing, they should play out in their mind several times. When I approach a suspect, I'm going to be 45 degrees off. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Check their hands, check their waist and play this whole thing out as, as all the way to the point where they're actually approaching somebody. They're like, I've been here a thousand times in my mind and they're not caught off guard. Yeah. Deja, deja vu all over again. And this is all the stuff that you're covering with these guys when you go see a, a different uh, uh, police department or whatever. You're kind of, you know, which they probably, a lot of them probably know this or maybe they don't. I don't know. But you're just raising it and bringing it to their attention again because it makes sense. It makes a big, big difference. Well, I take it out of compartmentalization and I let it all flow together, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we look at how we do our human performance, where, you know, it's physical strength, it's psychological it's spiritual it's diet nutrition recovery all these you know mobility there's all these cogs in this wheel that have to come together to to make you truly a a higher level and transcend a little bit and it's the same with all these other aspects you got to play all these different parts together and but they all have to tie in together simultaneously right so that it has to be you have to get your reps in and it has to be rehearsed where instead of just going okay well i'm if i go to a suspect I'm going to go up and put hands or I'm not, you know, there's so much more things that are involved in that, that what's going on, what's going on around them, what's going off, you know, concentric ring wise, farther and farther. Are there, are there people approaching? Is there going to be a riot? Are phones already out? Is this a pre-stage thing? You know what I mean? There's so many things mm-hmm. play out in your head. And again, you always just, just devolve back to your fundamentals and just be really, really good at, at the basics. Right. All right. It's just interesting, well, Marty, Marty, what you were saying, at an elite level. And, and, you know, in our experience, nobody ever gets to be a SEAL or a, a world champion or unless they use these tactics. You, you know, you don't, you don't get to those levels casually. Right. You can only, you can get so good and everybody thinks you're great and all that. Now you want to go to these extra levels, these Zenith right. levels, you got to use this kind of stuff. That's right. That's you got to, you, you got to go outside your art to improve your art. Yes. Yeah, there's no way around it because this level is the best in the world. Yeah, I was talking to a high school athlete I was training yesterday, and I said, well, now you got to make a decision. Do you want to just be a good high school athlete or you want to be a great one? Well, if you want to be a great one, this skipping breakfast stuff and this not visualizing stuff and this not planning your workouts and not having a notebook, that all that stuff, you know, when you take it to the next level, that's what takes you there, that preparation. And it's right. analogous to all this stuff. Well, it's, it's a planning. Yes. You know what I mean? You, you can't just go, okay, I, I need to have discipline. <laughs> you got you right. to break it down, man. You got to be like, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to do some mobility exercises. I mean, you have to have all this stuff pre-planned and scheduled and written out and, and laid before you. And like, I'm following this. And like I said, for me, I go and immediately tell everybody what my, what my intent is. And then I, in my mind, I'm playing it out where, oh man, if I don't get this squat, 
my wife is going to disown me and my children are going to be humiliated for the rest of their life. My wife could give a shit less how much I can squat. That's what I, Jim's always saying, that kind of stuff. But, but, I, but in my mind, I, I shame myself. Yes. I'm like, man, I got to do it or I'm going to humiliate my family. Yeah, you put yourself I'm in the spot. Everybody right? down. Yeah. Then, the worst fear for all SEALs is letting down our brother, you know, letting down the guy next to us. So I, I have to play it that way in my mind. If, and, and so far, you know, I, I made it down to 220 and competed. I got my 500 for 50. You know, I just, be, I sh literally shame myself into it. And that's what works for me. Other strategies might work for other people, but without that preparation and laying it all out, it, it takes a lot more than just going, well, you need more discipline or something yeah, silly like that. Right. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, man, this has been very insightful. This has been uh, great stories. It's, we love learning about, uh, you know, a little bit about your past and uh, what you got going on in the future. One of the things we also want to make sure to mention is uh, Four Pillars Collective and the website is fourpillarscollective.com. And you are a, a nonprofit. You guys are registered and everything. You guys are taking donations to anybody that uh, from anybody that cares to go ahead and donate. You know, it helps these guys go around to different police departments and teach them these these techniques and tactics and ways to, uh, you know, better, better uh, bridge the gap with the public, which uh, is something we all really need uh, right now, especially, uh, you know, some cities a lot more than others right now. So I, th I think these guys are on to something. There's a very bright future here with you and your group of guys and I'm sure you have a, a, a large uh, Rolodex of guys that you can bring in, you know, as your company grows. So, uh, yeah, well, that was something that I had learned from my previous command was if you want to learn something, then you reach out to the best, right? Right. Powerlifting. I go to Marty and I go, who's the greatest squatter in the world? Okay. Kirk Kowalski. Get, sign him up. I want to learn from him. And it's the same with combatives. And fortunately, right. the guys that I have, Conan Silvera from head coach at America Top Team and Dave Camarillo and of uh, guerrilla jiu-jitsu fame and uh, Gustavo Machado and others. These are the best guys in the world. They build world champions and they themselves are, you know, top level athletes. So I'm only going to bring in the best possible people or, you know, that have been vetted. I got to say this one time. So we're, I'm standing next to him and, and we're in the, the old, the old gym before they built the new one. And, um, we're standing there and, and somebody comes in and he, he looked at me and goes, he says, you know, we really don't want you in our gym if you haven't been a national or world champion. <laughs> what? Not to coach us. I don't want you to be, you know, here, here's something in human performance that's gross that we see all the time is um, all these different people that appear out of nowhere and are like, well, I trained all these world champions. You know, there's a difference between taking a guy Who's, who is nothing, a raw piece of clay and building him into a world champion or getting a guy that's already a world champion and he comes in and he does a seminar at your place. You're not training world champions. You're just shooting the shit a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there, there's a huge difference. And I, I want people that build raw world champions from scratch. Uh, I want to mention something too before we get sign off here. Uh, <clears throat> Hendo is going to be joining me a week from Saturday in Manhattan at Reload Gym, where we're gonna be sharing for the first time with the public, uh, I don't know, I guess we call it, it's a seminar booklet that we first started 10 years ago when we first started coming down and working with the uh, 
the guys in Virginia Beach. And Hendo and I have been kicking this thing back and forth for a decade. And each year it got a little more detailed, a little thicker, a little more insightful. Now the document is up to just short of 100 pages. So we're going to, for the first time, preview this thing with the public, with the, uh, the folks over at Reload in Manhattan. So if anybody's in town and wants to be a part of that, come on by. We're hoping to take it to a larger, wider audience, <clears throat> and right. uh, we will be turning it into a to a book or um, uh, what's, what's, what's the new thing they're doing, the ebook, something. We're, we're, we're going to make it available to the general public some way, shape, or form. Uh, but we will be sharing, sharing this. Uh, up until this point, it's been insider knowledge with the general public for the first time. Yeah, it's, well, it's, I mean, we tried and tested it. That's what happened. Like, like with everybody's program that comes in and goes, hey, I'm a great coach. I'm like, okay, well, give me your program and I'll compete in it and see if it works. This is the one that is enduring that's always we've always had a hundred percent success rate with and this was always reserved just specifically for you guys in virginia beach yeah because we and just that, needed that minimalist time like you said and and, and, right. and we and and hendo and i talked to each other we talked to each other a lot and we talked to each other a lot about what do we talk about this stuff we talk about training we talk about how do we improve what do we do to get better and it's not just strength training it's all of life, it's cardio, it's lifting, it's brain train, it's all these various elements. We're really trying to create an evolved human. Uh, it's, it's a strategy of which strength is one critically important fundamental, but it's not the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, Hendo, don't you think this, this kind of training ought to be brought to a, a much broader population uh, with various branches of the military? I mean. You know, it's not just something that works with the Navy. Why not the Army? You know, why not uh, the Marines and all those guys? So, well, it's, week. it's, I wouldn't say that. I, I, everybody needs to improve, right? We all need to get better, mm -hmm. but we need to stop with all this gimmicks yes. and sticks and just get back to the fundamentals and right. do what works best. And right now, I think we've got the market on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the training nowadays seems to be formed and and uh, and formulated behind and around some new product, some new gimmick. And, you know, you see them on TV all the time. And then you see on Instagram, guys are doing squats on resistance balls and all this stuff upside yeah. down. You know, they're upside down on a leg press and all this crap. When it comes down to it at the end of the day, from here to 50 years from now, it'll still be the gold standard of squats, deadlift, bench press with a barbell. You know, that's never going away. It's the gold standard. It's what works. Well, yeah, it's, it's assuming, raw, raw assume, iron. Also, it depends how you do them. That's the thing yes. that we want to bring to the table. We want to, right. we, we want to, to, to bring some sophistication to these techniques that everybody has a different way of doing a squat, a different way of doing a bench press, a different way of doing an overhead press. And we rely on structural architecture, logic, and empirical experience that goes back forever, right? Uh, these are, this is the methodology of champions. That's right. You know, one thing about those gimmicks that come out, they're easy. 
this stuff is difficult, but the rewards are great. Well, it's a difference between exercising and training, right? You can exercise with any gimmick on this earth and it's not going to do anything for you. You have to purposely train with what's most effective, most effective technique and most effective um, implements being the barbell, you know what I mean? Yes. And get it done because you, raw strength is the, is the only way for to be productive and to be, have good longevity. And the difference between training and exercise is training implies planning. Right. Exercise, you just go and do whatever you want that day, whatever you feel like. That's great. Bye. See you later. This session has no relation to that session. One session has no relation to the next session. And it's just uh, a, a little exercise free for all. Training is different. Training is sequential. Training is incremental. We eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? With a goal in mind, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. And we reverse engineer the strategy based on the out, the desired outcome. And if and if you're constantly trying to figure out ways to make your your lifting easier, you got the wrong attitude. It's right. supposed to be hard. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed yeah. to make you sweat it's supposed to make you fatigued and want to just go sit on the couch for six hours after you're done you know that's what causes the body to change no we do Nothing active else. rest we do active rest either way you got to earn it right there's nothing there's no free rides there's nothing for free in this country you got to get out and earn it and you're going to have it's not just a physical um positive positivity that you're going to get from it but you're going to get an internal premium from it you're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to be a better member of society. You're going to be, um, you're going to have greater longevity. You're going to be a better for your family, everything, but, but just get out and earn it and earn it for 30 minutes a day. Like take 30 minutes out of your miserable life, get in the gym and do something that's going to help <laughs> and affect all of society around you. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, bro. Well said. All right. Put the period right. on that. All right, so we're going to, Hendo, we're going to go ahead and put uh, your website up on the podcast. We'll, uh, we'll put it on social media as well so people can go to fourpillarscollective.com and, uh, and read all about these guys. And like I said, they, they're taking donations if you care to uh, donate to them. It's a great cause. Uh, so we'll have all that information up. Uh, I also want to mention that you can check out Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher at ironcompany.com. You can find his latest article, Robert Smith, Journey to the Center of the Physiological Universe. That's on our website now. Um, and you can make sure to visit him on Instagram, which is at the Marty Gallagher. And of course, Stacy's website. <laughs> <laughs> See, I write this down now. I know it's coming. So I just, we got, we got to give Stacy some love. So it's functional hyphen strength.org. Correct. And then, uh, and then of course, if, uh, if, you, if, if, if you're in need of gym equipment, flooring, whatever we supply to residential commercial and we're a GSA contractor, Hendo, you've got some of our stuff. I do. In fact, I'm kicking myself in the butt for not using the Karwaski bar in the gym because my grip kept sliding. I had to use yeah, this tacky like glue. Yeah, yeah uh, that knurling on that bar is, is amazing. And also it's not bendy. It's a nice stiff bar, which I, I actually prefer. I don't want to cheat my way through it by having this big swinging thing flying around <laughs> in my hands. I want to have a nice sturdy bar that's raw weight Whoa. coming up off the ground. It's fun. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Kirk and I planned all that out. We gave him the specs that he wanted. And it's funny because 
he wanted the knurling a lot more aggressive than what it is now. And I sent Marty and the guys a little piece of this bar as an example. And it was like, it was more intense than a cheese grater. Yeah, it was like ripping a cheese grater. I swear to God. And Kirk <laughs> said, that's perfect. Yeah, I like that too, man. For, for, and for I Kirk? said, dude, you're gonna you're gonna alienate 99% of your it was ripping the skin off. But it, it, in the squat, it was if the bar shifted on the back of their neck, it was ripping their skin off. Oh, it was gone. Yeah, but it makes sense from Kirk's perspective because he has yeah, he's, he's a, he's a so he wants, man, he wants yeah. something that's going to cut into his hands and not come out. And Kirk would say, that, <laughs> Kirk, Kirk would say something <laughs> like, Kirk would say something like, that weeds out the sissies. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's exactly. a great bar. I love that bar. I really do. All right. Well, we, we thank if, you if for... I could, uh, if I could say one more thing, JP, yeah. is, you know, for my nonprofit, Four Pillars Collective, especially to the youth that are out there, the younger generation, you cannot depend on the government to keep you safe. You cannot depend on the media to give you information. If you want a revolution and, and to reform policing and do something for your own future, then send a donation. One dollar doesn't matter. And we're going to take that money and put it into getting good equipment for law enforcement. We're going to get them, uh, you know, rounds and stuff so they can shoot and learn how to shoot more accurately. We're going to bring in the best professionals throughout the world to ensure that they're given the best possible training that they can possibly get. So if you want to invest in your own future and be safe, you know, this, this is the way to do something. Stop trolling on the internet and step up and, and actively do something for your own future. I think that's a, a great public announcement. Absolutely. I totally agree. So um, again, like I said, I'll, I'll put your website up there and everybody can go and check that out. And uh, I, I do want to mention Jim Steele. I can't forget about Jim Steele. Um, his articles can be found on our article section at ironcompany.com. Um, his current article is keep going. He's got another one in the works. What's that one about? Summertime Jim? training, different workouts you can do in the heat. There you go. You know, get outside and do stuff. Are you are you training naked on your deck again? Not quite naked. Um, I'm getting there. So as it gets warmer, I take off one piece of clothing. Each week <laughs> and do it. So pretty soon. <laughs> Depends and, on. And, and he also in, increases the the amount of beers he has during the uh, the whole workout. No, so, no, 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 no. I've had a beer since before Thanksgiving. Nope. That's right. What? That? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I built up enough equity, you know, built up plenty. All right. Well, very good. So that's what's going on here. Hendo, we thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, you and all your guys and everybody and, uh, in, in the, uh, the military working for the government, we appreciate everything you guys do keeping us safe. Um, we just really appreciate it. So, and love what you're doing. So we're going to help promote that any way we can. And uh, we really thank you for coming on to the podcast and, and sharing, sure. you know, and I don't, this is not something you usually do. In fact, this is the first Never. podcast Never. or <laughs> interview you've done. So we, uh, we are very honored. We appreciate it. Yeah. I hope I didn't mess it up. No, you did great. Man. No, you did. Awesome. No, you did. All right. <laughs> you did great. All right, buddy. Nice. Well, thank you very much. Thank you guys. All Thanks right. guys. It was great. I'll see you a week from Sunday. All right, buddy. All right. Bye.